welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith's weekly sermon podcast. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, Redemption Applied, the Ministry of the Holy Spirit. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. And working our way through a mini-series on the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the church. And I want us today to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And out of the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to him dependently in prayer. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, in writing this epistle to the Philippians, Paul is more than likely writing from a Roman prison, awaiting trial and, unbeknownst to him, his death. At the time of his writing, Paul was hopeful of his release. And in fact, he was eager to return to Philippi to witness firsthand the continued good work of God. But God's good work in the church is not without adversarial opposition. As the enemy seeks to undermine her fruitfulness, even in the areas of orthodoxy and unity. So Paul prays. He prays for the church's love. That it will abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Paul knows well that orthodoxy and unity must be prayerfully protected. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. And so, Satan attacks the church. This should be no surprise to us. Sometimes he does it through opponents without. But sometimes he does it from within. Of course, you and I cannot control opposition. But here's what we can control. We can control how we live and how we respond to that opposition. And what the church must guard against. Hear me clearly. What the church must guard against is doing Satan's work for him. For example, 
by allowing disunity to blossom in our midst. Paul says in verse 27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so, emphasizing this, Paul begins this second chapter that we've looked at today with this statement. Look at it with me, starting in verse 1. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, the way that it is structured here, and in the English translation, the there is, or if there is, is inserted here to capture the general idea of the Greek statement. It is a conditional statement. It's an if-then statement, so to speak. It's a conditional statement meant to lead us to the inevitable conclusion. What's that conclusion? As we have these blessings in Christ, and indeed we do, As we have these blessings in Christ, then we are to live in unity with one another. That's the conclusion of the conditional statement. And it's, as Paul puts it, it's a a joy-filled affirmation to Pastor Paul. It gives him great joy, it gives him great delight to learn that his church is living in unity, or that Christ church is living in unity. But it's also a blessing to the local church as well. How we live this out should be our question. And the answer to that is, is that we live this out by the Holy Spirit. We live this out by the Holy Spirit who enables us to live for Christ together as Christ church. And so, what I want us to do today in looking at this passage is I want to draw out four key words in this text that emphasize the Holy Spirit's work. Look in the text with me. These are the four words I want to draw your attention to. The first is encouragement. Encouragement. The second is comfort. Comfort. The third is participation, which can also be translated fellowship. And then the fourth is affection or love. In other words, what I want us to look at today is these four things. The Holy Spirit encourages us to look to Christ. The Holy Spirit comforts us in the love of Christ. The Holy Spirit unifies us as the body of Christ. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to love like Christ. Those are the four things that I want us to focus on today. Let's start with this first one. The Holy Spirit encourages us to look to Christ. In explaining the ministry of the Holy Spirit to His disciples, Jesus explains that the Holy Spirit glorifies not Himself, nor the Christian, but Christ alone. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit encourages us to look to Christ. 
But what does looking to Christ have to do with unity in the church? Well, for one thing, his example of humility. In fact, we stopped at verse 4. Look right down to verse 5 in this passage. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our larger catechism says that Christ humbled himself in his conception and birth. That Christ humbled himself in his life. That Christ humbled himself in his death. That Christ humbled himself even after his death, prior to his resurrection, Jesus humbled himself. And Paul says, have this mind amid yourselves, which should, practically speaking, lead us to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, counting others more significant than ourselves. But to look to Christ goes beyond his example to what he has done for us. Neither you nor I deserved the self-sacrificial love of Christ. And yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let that capture imagination. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ did not wait for you or I to become holy, as if that were possible, right? But He died for us when we were still repugnant to His perfect and supreme holiness. He died for you, He died for me when we were at our worst, not trying to do our best. (laughs) Greater love has no one than this. And he gives us that same love to love each other. The second thing I want us to look at is the Holy Spirit comforts us in the love of Christ. The Holy Spirit comforts us in the love of Christ. And I want you to, 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 if we can, consider the magnitude of the love of God in Christ who loved us and gave himself up for us, Paul writes in Ephesians. We are sinners saved by grace, reconciled to God the Father through faith in Christ the Son. It really is that simple. Such truth comforts. Such truth comforts the heart And mind, to know, to know that in Christ, that I am no longer the enemy of God. You and I are surrounded by people in our families, in the workplaces, our neighbors, and so on, who don't know this peace. 
And while we want to talk about all of the remedies for all the problems in the world, I love the way that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it. Is he said, there will be no end to war. This was shortly after the Second World War. There will be more. And that's not your greatest problem. Your greatest problem is, is you are the enemy of God. That should grip you. That should startle you. But, but God, who is rich in mercy, who by His grace has saved us through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, that, that is the greatest message in the whole world. And it is that message that the Holy Spirit brings to us. Brings to our remembrance. I heard someone say, at what point are you Christians going to quit talking about that gospel? Yeah, we ain't talking about it enough. We've not heard it enough. And I better be preaching it to myself on a daily basis because I need it. And you need it. He is the one who comforts us. The Holy Spirit is the one who comforts us in the love of Christ by His indwelling presence. But here's the thing. And in that, He uses us to comfort one another in the very same love. You're like, kind of the same love? Nope. The exact same love of Christ. The same love of God who sent His only Son. That very same love. Think about it this way. When I preach at a funeral, I'll oftentimes refer to the believer uh, having gone and departed the church militant and gone to the church triumphant. And and what we mean by that, the church triumphant uh, is made up of those who enjoy the sinless fellowship with our Lord in heaven. But the church militant consists of sinners like you and me, saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, living out that faith here on earth. Yep, we're still here. We have not yet entered the church triumphant. And in living out our faith, we are sure to encounter conflict, even suffering For the sake of Christ. See also the end of chapter 1 of this book of Philippians. And there are times, there are times, perhaps even you today, there are times when we need to be comforted. And there are other times when we need to comfort others. And the Holy Spirit uses us to do that very thing. In the second epistle, in his second epistle to the Corinthians, Paul put it this way. Please listen closely. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort of with which we ourselves are comforted by God. If you're taking notes, that's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Paul doesn't get out of the gate of his letter to the Corinthians without telling them, this is how God works. He comforts you through His Holy Spirit. And He comforts you that the Holy Spirit may use you to comfort others. And such, 
Such spirit-led comfort is edifying to the church. We're not talking about fake it till you make it. We're not talking about putting the happy face on so you can act like you're one of those phony Christians. No, it's spirit-enabled comforting. And it's edifying to the church. And it leads, if I may point you back again to this passage, it leads to being of the same mind. Having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. As we show Christ-like affection and sympathy to others. Because here's what happens. Concern for others replaces Selfish ambition and conceit. I love the way John Calvin, I mean, it's, it's a laugh out loud read. Uh, when, when I'm reading Calvin's commentary in Philippians, on the second chapter, he says, now this is John's paraphrase, but he says, um, if you struggle with this one, I'm going to give you a little practical tip. All right, Calvin with the practical tip. He says, If you struggle with this, I want you to, first of all, in another's presence, think of all your faults. That sounds like a good Calvinist point of view, right? I want you to think of all of your faults. Keep going, the list is long. And then simultaneously, I want you to think of the other person's many excellencies. Ready, start, go. And keep going and going. Because Calvin says, I have found, practically speaking, it's really hard to criticize and condemn someone else when I'm busy thinking about my faults and someone else's excellencies. (laughs) You see, that's what Paul is getting here at this passage. Is that our concern for others, when we start thinking of others, it replaces our selfish ambition, our agenda, our conceit. And as we count others more significant than ourselves, looking to the interests of others, we find that the Holy Spirit uses us to comfort one another. We become instruments in our Redeemer's hands. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit unites us as the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit unites us as the body of Christ. Here's what Paul wrote to the Ephesians in the fourth chapter. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness. With patience. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He's like a broken record, right? I mean, once again, we could say, the Apostle Paul is encouraging us to live out the reality of our Christian faith. And he's telling the Ephesians, you do that inside the local church with one another. Once again, he is reminding us that our attitude is to be humility. Our approach Gentleness. Our expectations are to be directed by patience. Our motive, love. We are not passive spectators in what the Holy Spirit is doing in the church. 
We are not passive spectators, but rather Paul says that we are eager to maintain. Eager. We desire it. We want it. We are active and we are the ones who work by the Holy Spirit's enabling and empowering. We are the ones who work to maintain that Holy Spirit enabled and empowered unity. Now to be clear, we're not the ones who create unity. That's up to the Holy Spirit's work. But we are the ones who preserve it by the Holy Spirit's power. Bound together as one, abiding in peace. Now I want to clarify, because this point includes the body of Christ. This is not implying uniformity. As every person is the same person, so to speak. Because you're uniquely created and gifted. And I'm uniquely created and gifted. But there is unity in our diversity. Which Paul describes using the analogy of the human body. Writing to the Corinthians, here's what Paul says. In that same 12th chapter that was read from earlier, Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. And as such, we are each necessary parts of that one body. We are gifted and we are arranged by God for the edification of the body to the glory of God. However, <laughs> to agree that we are many members functioning within the body, using various gifts God has given, this is pretty easy to agree on, right? But I think if I asked you, everybody would say, yeah, yeah, got it. Pretty easy. But agreeing on how each of us uses our spiritual gifts is not so easy. You may not like how he uses his gift of teaching. You may not like how she uses her gift of hospitality. You may not like how he leads. You may not like how she serves. And the list goes on, doesn't it? But the point is this, is that what we don't like, we are prone to criticize. Which is like a match lit and dropped on a tinderbox. Igniting the embers of our sinful flesh, breeding the wildfires of strife and contention within the church. Strife and contention in the church do not begin as if it's this slow, creeping cancer. It's oftentimes ignited like a blaze. Proverbs says, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And James concurs with this, doesn't he? When he says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, 
a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. I wonder what James thought about that, right? (laughs) Disunity in the church comes by way of words. Words spoken by you and by me. Ignited kindling are those words, and they can burn a church down. But that's not the way of the Spirit. That's not the way of the Spirit who unites us as one body. As one body, each one of us is called to serve selflessly, called to serve sacrificially, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but instead counting others more significant than ourselves, looking not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others. If you are in Christ, hear me clearly, you are called and gifted to serve the local church. Pew sitting will not do. But it doesn't start with a church-wide program. It doesn't start with a bulletin announcement. But it starts with seeing, understanding, and humbly recognizing the needs of others and seeking to serve them in meekness, in quietude, without criticism, without animosity, seeking to serve others like Christ. And it is in the unity of the body that we see so clearly the Holy Spirit at work among us, serving without agenda, serving without arrogance, serving quietly, one another to the glory of God. Fourthly, the Holy Spirit empowers us to love like Christ. The Holy Spirit empowers us to love like Christ. And I'm, we sang it this morning. I'm, I'm reminded of Martin Luther's words on what happens when we seek to live the Christian life in our own strength. It's that second verse. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus It is He, Lord Sabbath, His name, from age to age the same, for He must win the battle. Well, that's good stuff. That is really good stuff because you see, unity in the church comes not from you. It comes not from your strength. I hope that startled you. I hope that shakes you because you ain't got enough. And I don't have enough strength. But if I seek in my own strength confide, my striving will be losing. But the right man is on our side. The man of God's own choosing. And he has not left us to ourselves, has he? But he has given us his very spirit. 
the Spirit of Christ, the Helper, as Jesus says, who empowers us to love one another like Christ loved us. Rightly does Paul petition the church to have, in verse 2, the same love. Think about that. He says, the same love. Because it is a love of unity, it is a love that we are to have together, granted by the Holy Spirit of unity, and it is the same love with which we have been loved. Spirit-empowered, Christ-like love, then is not something that we muster up, but something that flows through us in our love and obedience to Christ. Christians must not say we cannot love, or we cannot forgive, or we cannot reconcile with a brother or sister. Because to say so, think about this, to say those words is to not deny the love that we have been shown. And that grieves the Holy Spirit, who empowers us to do the very thing that we think that we cannot do. An unwillingness to forgive and love like Christ results in self-destructive bitterness. And the example, and I've used this before, but as I think about this, I think about the situation that Corey Ten Boom found after she had spoken in a church after World War II. And at the conclusion of her speech, she saw walking toward her a prison guard. And she recognized him immediately, though he did not recognize her, because she had at that time been nothing but skin and bones. And she saw this prison guard. And it took her back to Ravensbrück in that, that Nazi concentration camp. Leading up to that, and after the war, God had used Corey mightily in working in different churches and helping, especially with those who had debilitating resentment, debilitating anger, debilitating bitterness. But on the day that Corey saw that German guard, she said, my blood seemed to freeze. <laughs> but he walked up to her. And he said, You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. But since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. And then the man extended his hand to Corey and asked, Will you forgive me? And Corey says, I, I stood there. I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? I could not have had... I could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. And so, perhaps reluctantly, Corey did, in fact, reach out her hand. And she says, and as I reached out my hand, I prayed, Jesus, help me. 
And when she did, she says this. An incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this feeling, this healing warmth, seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. You see, the Holy Spirit who miraculously brings us to spiritual life, who leads us to repentance, who gives us faith, who continues His sanctifying work in us, empowering us, also miraculously, to love like Christ with affection and true sympathy. Is there any encouragement in Christ? Any comfort from love? Any participation in the Spirit? Any affection and sympathy? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, there is. For the Holy Spirit is at work in us to glorify the one who loves us most. And so let us love one another as we have been loved by the spirit of unity in the likeness of Christ to the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, you you tell us in your word that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you that it's not based on anything that we did, we accomplished, but rather it is all by your grace. And so also it is by your grace through the presence of your Holy Spirit that you enable us to love one another, encouraging unity within your church. We pray for your blessing upon us. We pray for your Holy Spirit's powerful work among us, leading us in this Spirit-filled, this Spirit-enabled, this Spirit-empowered unity among ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.